we're in a series that we're calling the new normal. And even though we're not quite sure what that new normal is, we know that the new normal is not going to be exactly like the old normal. So we thought it would be a good time for us to talk about church. And I guess I want to say the why is never changing, but the how is ever changing. And that's what we're looking at in the series. What doesn't change and what may change or need to change based on what God's calling us to. We started a couple of weeks ago by looking at Jesus' promise to the disciples. And he said, I will build my church. He's the architect. He's the general contractor. Now he uses different means to accomplish it, but he promises that this church will be built exactly according to plan. And that's what he's doing. Last week, Carlos helped us think through some of the means, or maybe the primary means. From Zechariah, we read that it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, God says. And so as you read through the book of Acts, you actually see that being lived out. You see the Holy Spirit energizing, gifting, enabling believers to then build the church. Jesus, the architect, Jesus, the general contractor, the spirit giving what's necessary to build the building. Well, what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look at just three verses tucked away in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're gonna look at the counterclockwise church. And I'm not sure if you've ever thought about counterclockwise before, but the whole book of Colossians, in fact, the whole New Testament, maybe the whole Bible is really counterclockwise. It seems culture, belief systems, philosophies, worldviews, they all spin in one direction, but the gospel and what God's doing in Christ's kingdom, it's spinning in a different direction. Right out of the chute, we see that in the book of Colossians. So let me give you a little background to make uh, the first point. Paul writes this letter from prison. Now, I'm not sure if you've been in prison or visited prison or you've heard stories about prison or movies about prison. I've got a brother-in-law who is a canine officer in the Philadelphia prison system. And every once in a while, he'll tell me a story or two. And I know one thing, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be in there. There's lots of pain. There's lots of suffering. There's lots of anxiety. Some things never change. Maybe the particular circumstances of the prison may change, but there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of anxiety. Paul is in prison. When you're experiencing pain, now we all get aches and pains, right? Suppose you got a really bad headache. You got a really bad earache. You had your COVID shot. You're having bad reactions. Uh, something's going on and you're in pain. You're suffering. You're full of anxiety. Maybe you're discouraged. What are you obsessed with when you're in pain, suffering, and anxiety. Yourself. It's really hard to be empathetic. It's really hard to encourage and support somebody else. If you're in the midst of pain and suffering and anxiety, you're self-absorbed. Your attention is focused on you. Paul is in prison. Pain, pain, suffering, anxiety. He writes a letter to encourage and support and bolster the faith of the people, the church in Colossae. Wow, that's a counterclockwise move, don't you think? Well, we're gonna look at a couple verses from chapter one, as I mentioned, verses 12 through 14. And we're gonna look at the counterclockwise gospel. 
the counterclockwise gospel. And we'll wrap it up with a counterclockwise response. Counterclockwise gospel. We live in a world of bad news. Have you noticed that? Uh, social media, you know, you go on, watch the news on TV, you go to news websites, maybe you're old school, you read the newspaper. We live in a world of bad news. Disease, violence, hatred, racism, death, murder, pain, suffering, anxiety. That's our world, right? We live in a world of bad news. I'm not going to talk about that today. Paul doesn't talk about that. He lives in a context of a bad news world too. Paul talks about the good news of the gospel. Now, what is that in a nutshell? Now, you do have to listen for the next few minutes, but let, let me give you the message in a nutshell. Here's the message. Regardless of your race, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your economic status or your financial portfolio, regardless of your educational background, regardless of your personality type, regardless of your country of origin or the country of your residence, regardless of all those things that separate us, you can be qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. Regardless of whatever's going on in your life, you can be qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. Let me show you where those five words come from. They're actually in the verses we're going to look at. So here are the verses. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see the five ideas? Qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, forgiven. That's not just good news. That's great news. That's the best news. And in case you don't realize this, those five concepts run in a counterclockwise direction to most of what we experience and live out in our world. Well, let's take a couple of minutes and look at each one. Qualified. Now, what does qualified mean? Well, let me tell you right up front, unqualified and disqualified are two different things. Unqualified and disqualified are not the same thing. Let me give you an example. Hey, do you ever go to an amusement park? You know, whether it's a great adventure, uh, whether it's you know, Six Flags, whether it's Disney World, whether it's Dorney Park, whatever. Right? You go to an amusement park. You ever notice that some people are unqualified to go on certain rides, like the good rides? You have to be a certain, there's a height requirement to go on the really good rides. And you know, you get this little guy come up, oh, sorry, you're unqualified. You're not tall. Now, all the little guys to do is grow a little bit, right? Or, you know, put on some big shoes that the guy can't see. And he can be qualified. He's unqualified. Well, just suppose, uh, I'll make it me. Suppose that I'm a little guy and I'm unqualified. I come up, I don't measure up. But suppose I don't want to be unqualified. So I now act out. I pick up some rocks that are laying on the ground. I throw them at the attendant that won't let me in. I make a scene, I grab him, I'm swinging at him, I'm punching him, he calls security, I'm spitting at security, I'm looking for the guy, I'm trying to get on the ride, I'm jumping on in front of people. I am now disqualified. 
Not only unqualified for the ride, I'm disqualified for that ride and disqualified from staying in the park. The security guys are going to take me out and throw me out of the park. You see, to be unqualified is a little different than to be disqualified. To be disqualified means you're unfit. You cannot get entrance. What's the Bible say? We are not just unqualified for Jesus' kingdom. We are disqualified from Jesus' kingdom. We've rebelled against God. We've spit in his face. We've run from him. The stuff he says don't do, we do. The stuff he says do do, we don't do. We get it kind of wrong, wrong. We are not just unqualified, we're disqualified. But the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, we can be qualified. We can gain entrance, not because we and ourselves are fit, Jesus makes us fit. We are now qualified in him. That's good news. How about our next word? Rescued. Rescued. Rescued from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness. The word domain there, kingdom, has the idea of authority, has the idea of power. So uh, let me say this as plainly as I can based on the Bible. It may not sound real politically correct. This is not Charles. This is Bible. All right, here's how it goes. There are lots of different worldviews, lots of different religious systems, lots of different values, lots of different um, views when it comes to sex, lots of different political views, lots of different places people live. People are radically different from each other, but when all is said and done, every human being is a member of only one of two kingdoms. There aren't 55 kingdoms. There aren't six kingdoms. There even aren't three kingdoms. Now, Paul's using the metaphor here, kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. And maybe you want to say, yeah, but I'm in the kingdom of dawn. I'm in the kingdom of twilight. I don't want to be dark. No, no, there is no kingdom of dawning. There is no kingdom of twilight. It's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Only two kingdoms. And every human being that has ever lived and is living today and will ever live is a member, a participant in one of those two kingdoms. And here's a really sad ironic fact that you probably have experienced. It seems like the vast majority of people that are actually in the kingdom of darkness, they're in that domain, under that power, they're in, but they know that they're not. Is that right? They're really in that kingdom. They're citizens, but they know they're not in, I'm not in that kingdom. I'm in the kingdom of life. I'm free. I can do what I want. I don't have any oppressive power. No, no, no. Only two kingdoms. You're either under the power in the kingdom of darkness or you're in Christ's kingdom. Only two kingdoms. And every human being is a member of one or the other. And the message of the gospel is we've been rescued from that kingdom of darkness, from that kingdom that is oppressive, from that kingdom that leads to an eternal nightmare. We've been rescued from that kingdom. And we've been transferred to the kingdom of light. Now it's a springtime, right? And in springtime, some of you go to a nursery and you, I don't mean to pick up a baby. You, well, maybe you do that too, right? You go to a nursery and you pick flowers. Maybe you pick out a couple trees. And what do you do? You take the tree or you take the plant and you um, take it out of one environment. You remove it from one. You deliver it from one and then you transplant it into another. That's what Paul says. 
You've been rescued, delivered from one environment, one kingdom, and you've been replanted in a different environment. You've been transferred to a different kingdom. I'm gonna ask you a question that I've been uh, thinking about these last couple of days, and it's been uh, kind of hard to think about, so I'm gonna ask you. I want you to think of heaven as you conceptualize it. Think about heaven. Uh, let me give you a few prompts. Uh, there's no disease, right? No need for tissues or hankies, right? No colds and no tears. Lots of hobbies and leisure, and you're good at your hobbies. However you define beauty, it's a place of awesome beauty. It's a place of community. It's a place of friendship and deep and relationship without all the, you know, kind of froth or without all the static of, you know, misunderstanding and abuse. All that's gone, right? You think of heaven however you conceptualize it with all the stuff that you want to be in heaven. Would you want that picture, that experience of heaven, if Jesus wasn't there? I really hope you would say no. But the reality is that we often spend a lot of time in our lives seeking the stuff that we want heaven to contain without Jesus, the king of heaven. Here's an image that helped me process that this week. Uh, many of you know I have two grandsons, Jeffrey and Carter, three and one. Just suppose I had all of their stuff. I had their clothes in a closet in the drawers. I had their two beds. I had all their toys. I'm surrounded with their toys. I even have their iPods. And I can go on and pick their favorite shows and I can sit on the sofa and, you know, remember watching this with, with Jeffrey or watching this with Carter. I've got all of their stuff, but they're not there. I know I speak for every grandparent and every parent when I say, I'll take Jeffrey and Carter without any of the stuff rather than all the stuff without the boys. I think that's kind of what Paul's hinting at here, right? He doesn't say, right? You read the verse. He does not say he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's not what he says. He says he transferred us from the kingdom of light to the kingdom of his son. We move from darkness into the presence and a relationship with Jesus. And all the things, all the trappings, all the stuff that we think of about heaven, that stuff doesn't matter at all if Jesus isn't there. Now look, the reality of the gospel is we get Jesus to end all the stuff that's promised. But if you had to separate, Paul would say, I'll take Jesus without any of the stuff. But in the gospel, we get Jesus and all the stuff. It's good news, don't you think? Well, the next word is redeemed. Now look, we're in church, in case you didn't know, we're in church. And when I say the word redeemed, or I speak of redemption, I know you immediately think of very religious things. But the word redeem and the word redeemed and redemption, they're not really religious words at all. They're actually financial words. And some of you know that, right? If you have a coupon for a ham, and you go to Giant, 
You redeem the piece of paper and you take home a ham. If you go to the giant Starbucks where I go, every seven visits, I redeem the seven visits for a free cup of coffee. That's a financial transaction. If you have stocks, you've got a piece of paper that says you own them. When you redeem the stock, you trade the paper for cash. That's redemption. It's a financial deal. And in the ancient world where there was no bankruptcy laws, there was none of that, there was no social economic safety net. When you became in debt, you were either imprisoned or you and your family were sold as slaves so that the debt would be paid. Or the Old Testament is this really strange idea called redemption. And if you had a wealthy relative, that wealthy relative could redeem you. And that language is a kinsman, somebody a relative, a kinsman redeemer. That doesn't mean he's somehow like a savior, he forgives your sins. That means he can financially pay your debt and you go free. Paul says in the gospel, you've been redeemed. An astronomical debt has been paid by Jesus and we are now free and the debt is paid in full. Now, the last word in the list of five is the word forgiven. And I know forgiveness is an idea we talk about a lot. A couple of weeks ago when we started the series, we said, right, Jesus gives the promise of the gospel and we need to be a community of forgiveness. And all that's certainly true. But have you ever wrestled with your need for forgiveness and the depth of the forgiveness that Jesus gives? If we were to interview uh, some people, maybe nobody in this room, but I know if we were to interview some of your friends, maybe some of your family members or coworkers, and we were to ask them a question, suppose we were to ask, boy, if you could just have one thing that would make your life complete, one thing, and you'd be kind of over the top, one thing you'd be excited like forever. My guess is you have some friends that would say, if I could just lose 20 pounds by summer, I mean, if I could somehow get the beach body out of this body and, uh, you know, summer's coming quickly here. Like we're only a little over a month away. And if I could lose 20 pounds, my life would be complete. I'd be more than presentable on the beach. 20 pounds and I'd have it licked. Or maybe somebody else is in that vein. They say, uh, well, no, 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 I don't, I don't need to lose 20 pounds. But if I had a $20,000 a year raise, that's what I need. If I could get $20,000 more a year, Boy, I'd have life licked. I'd have everything I want. I'd be excited forever. Now, look, don't misunderstand. If we lost 20 pounds and you had 20,000 extra dollars, life may be a little easier. But pretty soon, that joy and satisfaction would fade, wouldn't it? And you'd be right back to wanting and needing and desiring something else and realizing your life would be complete if. But forgiveness isn't like that. Forgiveness in the gospel is the gift that keeps on giving. Not just for the summer, not just for the year, but forever. God says uh, in Isaiah, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. 
and remembers your sins no more. Whenever I read that verse, I'm, I'm reminded. We're not counting on God's forgetfulness in forgiving. We're counting on God's promise to remember our sins against us no more. That's good news, isn't it? If you think about your sin a little bit, all of a sudden that good news becomes great news. Here's another one that may not be as familiar to you from Micah. Um, Micah writes, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not, say, you do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Metaphor after metaphor. God doing away with our sin. Now, we live in a world in which we watch uh, some of these shows on TV when they're trying to discover the Titanic. You've seen this? And they got these little submarines, unmanned submarines, and they kind of let them down from the ship and they go down and, and they find the Titanic. And this little submarine can go in and out all the things. And, you know, do you ever think, well, yeah, what if God has one of those little submarines and he buries my sin in the depth of the sea, but you know, one day that little submarine is going to come down and he's going to be in and out and around the corner and all my sin will be exposed. That's not what he's saying. He says, I'll bury it in the depths of the sea before there were little submarines. Now, I hesitate to tell you this next illustration because it's going to show you how old I am. And you say, well, Charles, we already know. There was a day young people, there was a day before cell phones, believe it or not, before iPads, before flat screen TVs, do you believe it? Before ESPN in the men's room. I mean, it was a, now some of you are saying, how did you not die of boredom? I don't know, we survived, right? But there was a world before all that. That was the world of the Etch-A-Sketch. Now, I don't want to be the only one that's old. So how many of you know what an Etch-A-Sketch is? Raise your hand. You know what? You don't even have to be that old to remember Etch-A-Sketch because if you ever watched Toy Story, you remember Sheriff Woody having a quick draw with the Etch-A-Sketch, right? Now, the Etch-A-Sketch was a little uh, uh, plastic rectangle and it had a red border on it. And it had two white knobs down in the two corners. And with the two knobs, you would twist and turn them and you'd move a stylus around on the screen. And uh, the stylus only moved, you know, horizontal or vertical, so it was tough to draw a pretty picture. Maybe you could move them together and get a little bit of an angle. It was tough, right? Let me tell you, I could make some ugly pictures with an Etch-a-Sketch. And you could too, right? I'm not an artist, and I don't know how to work this thing real well. I could make some ugly pictures with an Etch-a-Sketch. But Etch-a-Sketch had this ingenious mechanism, flip and shake, and the ugly picture was gone. You turn it back over and all your ugly picture was gone. You know what Paul says? The gospel is kind of like an etch-a-sketch. As we go through life, we live some pretty ugly pictures, don't we? We dishonor God, we rebel against him, we abuse and oppress and exploit his people. I mean, we create some ugly pictures. In the gospel, flip and shake. Not like the cloud that saves it forever. Flip and shake. 
and the ugly picture is gone. That's the forgiveness of the gospel. So in the midst of the bad news of Colossae, Paul says, uh, let me tell you about the counterclockwise good news of the gospel. You've been qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. Well, that raises a question. How should we respond to that? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul answers the question for you. In fact, that's how he began the three verses I read. Did, did you catch it? What's he say? We should be rejoicing. But before there's rejoicing, there's got to be reordering. In case you haven't noticed, the Eagles have a new coach. And let me tell you, the culture will change. The players now have to know to, how to play rock, paper, scissors. Uh, he's more like a cheerleader, kind of energetic, you know, go, yeah, rah, rah kind of guy. That's not the way it used to be, you know, with Doug and the other guys. And they've got to get used to the new culture. My guess is they're going to have different drills. They're going to run. Still the same game, but some of it's going to change. and It's going to be very different. There's got to be a reordering to practice, a reordering of the culture. And in the gospel, if we really are living out the fact that we're qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, forgiven, there will be a reordering in our lives. And Paul gives us the example. Rather than being self-absorbed, we will be others-absorbed, just like he's living out in the letter. That's one of the things that happens when we reorder. But the second thing is rejoicing. In a world of bad news, in a, world, in a context in which we're surrounded by bad news and difficulty and anxiety and discouragement, we need to be rejoicing, not in the circumstance we're in, but in the gospel that's been delivered to us. Now, I've got an assignment for you. I want you this week, at some point, you figure out when, I want you to read the three verses that we looked at this morning, right? So I want you to read them, and I want you to, you know, kind of think, you can underline or whatever you want. I, I want you to think um, qualified, and you can remember whatever you want, rescued from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his son, redeemed all the debts been paid, forgiven, right? Etch a sketch, flip and shake, all that. And then I want you to ask yourself and answer this question. If you really, really believe that, how would you be living? If you really really believed it. Well, let's read it. And let's live it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these uh, few verses. Tucked away in the beginning of a letter that Paul wrote to a church he did not plant and had never visited. But when he heard about what was going on there, even though he was in prison, he sent them a letter of encouragement and support. He said, I want you to know, in the midst of bad news, you've been qualified, rescued, transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. Be church. Live in light of that. We pray in Christ's name. 
Amen.